You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Several years ago, five years ago, my, my older brother, he's a year and a half older than me, his name's Dan, um, he and I and the rest of my family got the wonderful news that my youngest sister was having a baby. And my youngest sister um, has an intellectual disability, so this was not a planned thing, and she wasn't even aware of it. She was told uh, probably about uh, a month before she gave birth that she was pregnant. And the birth happened, and she is a person that just doesn't have the capacity even to care for herself. Um, her child was um, kept from her and, and remained in the hospital. Immediately, my brother had a passion in his heart to have this child as his own. He's older than me, and I thought, you are a crazy man in your late 40s to be taking on the burden of a brand new baby child his own children were, you know, uh, around 10 years old, 14 years, 12, 12, and 12 and 10, I think. So there was a big gap. But he just wanted to have, to take this baby, you know, have it as his own. And there's just something about, something that happens in your heart when you fully decide that you're going to adopt somebody else. And, and I feel like in the prayer of Jesus that... That Jesus has this same adoption mindset towards every one of us. He, he prays to the Father that he would be able to absorb us into himself. And he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Because they are yours. All mine are yours and all yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. It's strange how this, this young person, little Anthony, he could... He could be born and not be in a family, but immediately that someone made that decision that they were going to take him into their own, he was absorbed into their life. All that's mine is yours. All that's yours is mine. And instantly he became part of their family unit. But of course, the government has a process as well, right? And it's extremely difficult to adopt in Canada. So five years later, he's still not adopted. He's never, never lived in any other place than my brother's home and never known anybody other than my brother and his wife, his parents. And he's safe and he's fine and he's, he's, he's beautiful. He's doing great. But the process, the legal process. So when, when COVID hit last year, my brother and his family happened to be here in Australia because of my youngest daughter, Lily, was getting married. And so the, they came with little Anthony and... And, uh, but when COVID hit, the legal parts of whose, whose is whose kicked in. And they got a call from the Canadian government to say, you must bring Anthony home because he's not yours, he's ours. Now, I understand all of those processes. I'm not critical of those processes. I'm really frustrated with the processes, but I understand why they're in place, and I understand the value of those things. But when that sort of sense of who has the legitimate right to protect you, who is that 
Then, of course, until you're fully adopted, then you're still an award of the state. The state is still technically your guardian. And so there was no way to undo that, and they had to bring the child back home to Canada. And that's why authority is so important. You see, Jesus has the authority to adopt you and to take you as his own. He has the right to say to the Father, please give me that person to be cared for by me so that I may take full possession of them. And you think about that because Jesus is thinking about this prayer in terms of his own travel. He's saying, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. And like Jesus has got his bag packed. He's, He's ready to go to the cross. Then he's ready to go into the tomb. And then he's ready to be raised from the dead. And then he's ready to hang out and teach guys for a bit longer. But then he's ready to go. And he knows that his moment standing guard in front of those people is going to end. And so he prays, Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one. And by praying one, he's not just talking about unity between you and your brothers. He's talking about being one with God, one with the Father, so that your unity with God is never, ever challenged or changed, even as we are one. Now, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave in me, and I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the one, the son of destruction, which the scripture might be fulfilled. There is one that never was in. He was always out. In fact... That one is the one that sold Jesus out. He did not keep Jesus. He betrayed Jesus, Judas. But every single one that was in stayed in. And what the disciples maybe never knew was that the whole time Jesus was standing guard over them spiritually. He was connected with them and he said, you are mine and nobody can touch you. The devil might have planned the worst atrocities towards you, but not one of them got through my guard. I protected you. I kept you. This idea of keeping people is so precious and important to people. But I want to just take a moment, because as I was preparing this and planning to preach this, I felt an alert light go up on my dash cam of spiritual, I don't know, insight. Do you know, you have any of those? Maybe you have a warning light on your dash that tells you when your engine's about to blow. I've got a spiritual alert that I don't think, maybe this was God speaking I don't think that we, in our country, in this moment in history, really appreciate what it means to keep one another. Have we lost touch with how important it is to be kept? Do we think we need a keeper? How do we feel about keeping others? It's my suspicion that The way that you grew up and the way that you were coached and encouraged in life was not to be deeply dependent on one another. In in more ways, we think about ourselves as an island. We learn to live by the motto that I don't need anyone. And therefore, if I need someone else, then there is something wrong with me. How many? I'll put up my hand willingly. I, I know I have this social anxiety problem that if I have to, oh, it's so humiliating that I have to ask somebody for help. It's terrifyingly sad. What a failure I am. Have you ever seen those people, those gentlemen that walk around Bunnings with no idea what they're looking for or how to find it, but they will not ask. 
They will not ask. And the other day I was in Bunnings and there was a guy that was asking the Bunnings worker guy where something was. And obviously he'd come to that point of humility and realization that he was a failure as a a man and they did not know in in Bunnings where this particular item was. I knew where it was. But he didn't know where it was. So I overheard him asking the Bunnings guy. And then the Bunnings guy had the problem because the Bunnings guy didn't know where it was either. But would the Bunnings guy get on the phone and ask anyone else in Bunnings where it was? No, the two of them wandered around the store together. I wonder sometimes if there's something wrong with us because we don't know that we as humans actually need to be kept. Individualism is the philosophy that guides much of the thinking of our culture now. Individualism refers to an ideology... That's a way of thinking about something. It's closely linked to liberalism. It's it's uh, of free and independent choices of individuals being given preference over the decisions and interests of the collective. Individualist ideology naturally produces individualistic behavior as people are raised to believe that their choices are sacrosanct. And as long as they are not, in quotes, harming anyone else, any sense of duty or service to others is slowly but surely lost. This, this is not written by a Christian person. He's not presenting any kind of thing. He's just looking at the way people behave. And he's noticing that this, in our culture, we are taught individualism is the, is the best expression of humanity. To be a person who can make and live their own choices is the highlight of a fully autonomous person. In fact, the word autonomous means you make your own choices. He says, in the end, what guides people is just how you're not supposed to hurt anybody else as you go about doing the thing that only you want to do. But of course, do we all realize you can't possibly live a self-interested life and not hurt other people? It just doesn't happen. And if you're not hurting other people, well, then you're hurting the planet or you're hurting someone else and you don't even know it. I have saw these phrases, these, these memes. I, I actually read them and believed that this would be true of many people I know. I don't need anyone to hold me. I can hold my own. I love the next one next to it because it's it's a lot more Clint Eastwood. I was told I was dangerous. I asked why. And they said, because you don't need anyone. And that's when I smiled. It's such a powerful feeling when you finally realize you don't need anyone else but yourself to survive. Don't lean on others. You don't need to. You were born with two feet for a reason. The average percentage of Australians living alone, this, this chart maps just basically the, that trend since, the, since 1911 to 2011, charting 100 years, you can see that while there was a brief uptick to about 12 or 11% of people living at home in that time period, it descended and it's culturally normative to be lower than 10%. But now we are living at about 24, 25% of Australian households are single-person households. This experience is... Normal for people, sometimes through no choice of their own, sometimes because of choice. But what it means is that increasingly people are not connected naturally to others. If I I say something 
now or during the course of this message that upsets you, I really encourage you to reach out to find solutions. Recently, um, I got to know somebody who'd been living alone. And they were living alone because their relationship broke down. And they were a very busy person and living very busy work life. But coming home day after day after day to an empty house felt very isolating and lonely. It actually provoked in this person a deep spiritual search to wonder, where are you, where are you God? What's going on with my life? But as I was talking to this person later, they said something that I thought, is, I think sometimes people don't really understand their trouble. They're troubled, but they don't know what the trouble is. And this person very wisely isolated was, was this. They said, when I come home, I realize that there is nobody who would even know if I was dead. There was nobody who would realize if I wasn't alive or if I was sick or if I needed help. There is nobody that keeps me. If you're living a life where nobody is aware of where you're really at, you could be surrounded by people and alone. But that aloneness creates a problem. We, we think about there being kind of solutions. Singers sing about it. Justin Bieber, you say that I won't lose you, but you can't predict the future. So just hold on like you'll never let me go. Yeah, if you ever move on without me, I, I just make, to make sure that you know that you are the only one I'll ever love. Sorry, I'm very proud to say I can't sing like Justin Bieber. Um, yeah, you. It's, if it's not you, it's not anyone. Do you feel the desperation for this connectedness never to end? I mean, other people find ways of singing in their songs. You know, like Adele, she's always happy to look for a replacement. Never mind. <laughs> you can't just sound like your, your grandma. <laughs> Never mind. I'll find someone else like you. <laughs> I wish nothing but the best for you, too. But don't forget me, I beg. I remember that you said sometimes it laughs in love, sometimes it hurts instead. <laughs> but of course, maybe the real solutions and one lost to culture maybe is what Beyonce was working on. Because Beyonce says you should have put a. Because uh, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Don't be mad once you see what he wanted. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know the dance. You see, these, these singers, they, they, they sing about this desperate need for deep connectedness with others and for that deep sense of care, but they don't know how to maintain it. I mean, Beyonce actually brings up a very serious thing, is that if people don't put rings on commitments then how lasting is it? And the trouble is, in our world, we have very casual connectedness with others now. That they end superficially. The, the rings that bind us together are not things that bondage, but they're things of maintenance, of something that's vital. We can't endure without. 
What about social media? In her book, Alone Together, social psychologist Sherry Turkle argues, our relentless connection to the digital world is actually driving isolation. On the whole, she says, we are more lonely and distant from one another, and this is not only changing the way we interact online, it's straining our personal relationships as well. Loneliness in psychology today causes serious hurt, acting on the same parts of the brain as psychological pain. While past research has treated loneliness as a synonym of social isolation, recent studies revealed that the subjective feeling of loneliness, the internal experience of disconnection or rejection, is the heart of the problem. They actually did scientific tests where they had people play uh, a computer game with two computers. So it was a two-computer and a human game. And in the game, it was a simple game of pass, you know, throwing the, the item one to another. And it would go computer to human to human to computer, computer to computer, computer to human. And it would just pass around like that. But the computer program was programmed to stop passing the ball to the human. And they had monitors on the human's brain when that happened. And the human experienced the exact same brain patterns as somebody in pain when they stopped getting the ball. It hurts to be lonely. What about consumerism? Capitalism benefits from social atomization, meaning split into individuals, because the more individual agents, the more consumers, and thus the more opportunities for profit. As such, there's a vested interest in fracturing the family unit into individual consumers. For example, if there's only one phone per household, well, that leaves the rest of the family as a potential customer base yet untapped. How many phones are in your house? When I grew up, there was one. And mom would listen to you while you talked on it. But now it's all pieces. Everybody's split up. The Lord spoke to Cain and said this to him. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain responded saying, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? It's a legitimate question. Just because God placed another human being near you, are you responsible to keep them in any way? Now, of course, Abel had just murdered his brother, so that's different. But almost in the exact extreme opposite, God requires us not to murder our brothers and sisters. So please, if you take home something, that's a good one. Don't kill the people near you. You need them. God likes that you don't. But you are actually your brother's keeper. Now, I want to say that this is actually much, much better for us. Our life lived as keepers of one another leaves us with more fulfilled lives. The word keeper is the word shemar. It means to hedge about, like as though you would make a barrier out of thorns. That is to guard, to generally to protect and to attend to somebody. So he's not saying, am I my brother's keeper? He's saying, am I the one that's supposed to protect my brother from harm? Well, Cain, you are the harm. But am I the one that's supposed to make sure that my brother is okay? Is that, is that like okay to ask that of me? I'm an autonomous human being. I get to live the life that I'm called to live. I'm supposed to live according to my goals and desires. If I don't get to live and do the things that I want to do in life, then that's not how I'm supposed to live. That's, that's stealing my life. God says, no. You're made for keeping one another. That's how you get better. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has very few answers that are about what works. 
He has lots of questions that he raises, but very rarely in the book of Ecclesiastes does he actually present something as a solution. And one of those is keeping people. In fact, he says it's the difference between feeling like you've lived a worthwhile life and feeling like you haven't. In Ecclesiastes 4, chapter 7 and 8, he says, Again, I saw a vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all of his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with his riches, so that he he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is also vanity and an unhappy business. What are you toiling for? I, I don't know if you've ever... One of the experiences I'm going through right now is my two children have gotten married and moved out of my house. And all of my toil now lost a lot of its meaning. (laughs) Because I used to toil to make sure they had food. I used to toil that they go to school. I toiled that they would have good health care. I toiled that I could be there for them, encourage them, help them, guide them, bless them, doing what I could do to be there. So I had all of this purpose and meaning, and then these two horrid men come and steal my daughters away. They're wonderful. But it left me with a sense of, I don't know, what am I doing this for? So I kind of try to sneakily get money into their lives now. Do you, anybody else, is a dad like, just trying to slip it in? Oh, did you need, oh, we can... Now, that can be all misinterpreted as love, or it could be my desperate attempt to keep my life full of meaning. Fortunately, we have a granddaughter now, so there's a healthy financial flow that way, too. (laughs) It gives our meaning and purpose to our existence once again. But I wonder, I wonder... If you feel like, what's the point? And what Solomon is saying, if you feel like, what's the point? Maybe you don't have enough people to care for. You, you could sit here and think, yeah, people really need to care for me. And that's true. But Solomon's advice is not get more people to care for you. His advice is, Why don't you make your life about making sure others are kept? You don't need to keep many, because you can't keep many properly. But other than your immediates, who are you caring for? It will give you a reason to get up every day. It'll give you purpose and dignity to all of your effort. If you can find a stranger, a lonely person, a person who is without keepers and become their keeper. He says this, two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. 
If I could just isolate four things that I think that Solomon recommends in a life that's lived as keeping one another, he says it boils down to these four things. Number one, it's the best return on effort. It is the biggest payoff in your life. I, I have a, my best friend lives in Melbourne, Greg, and we've been best friends now for probably 29 years, 28, yeah, maybe 30 years now. I, I keep him. And he keeps me. And all of those phone calls, all of the messages, all the emails, all of the visits, all of the time spent with him and his family and his life and his needs, all of those efforts are the largest payoff of any efforts that I make. I make the same kind of investments in my wife and my children and the many people that we get to serve and lead here in this church. But the payoff of investing in some other human being will be to you the biggest payoff in your life. It's great return on effort. Number two, it's something that will give you what you need to be lifted up. It's, if you're alone, you have no one to lift you up, you are stuck and you are in a position where if you fall, you are always in a position where you don't know if you can recover. But it's not just about the emotional world, the, the, the physical world or the financial world. The problem is that if we don't lift other people up, we don't feel like we're lifted up. You know, Jesus talks, talk, talks constantly about worshiping him, lifting him up. But the point is that in the worship of Christ, we are lifted up. It's, it is self-fulfilling to glorify Christ because the more you glorify him, the more his blessing flows in your life and the more you're lifted up. But is it selfish to do so? No, because you can't worship Christ selfishly. But when you do so unselfishly, you are lifted up. Likewise with your brother, your sister, your person in your home group, the person near you, the person around you. If you invest in them, it's you who are lifted up. Not only in their eyes, but in the needs, in the sense of purpose of your own life. Number three, it's the only way to live a warm life. If two lie down together, they keep warm. But we use that as an analogy today to talk about the, the sense of of. It warms the cockles of your heart. It, it transforms that sense of joy and enthusiasm in your life. If you are a remote person, you are a cold person. Number four, it's the only way to overcome the impossible. He makes the analogy and he says, if, there's a, if you are one person against one opposition, you might have a chance of winning. But if there are two of them versus the one of you, you've got no hope, let alone a crowd. But if you gang up with other people, it makes the reality, the impossible things become possible. Instantly, as soon as you get people on your side, you just feel like you can win. Because not only do they encourage you, but they also provide you with the resources that you don't have in yourself to become the person who overcomes. You see, it's combining humanity that ends up with the win. That's why, can I tell you this? There's a list of things that God hates in the book of Proverbs. They are things that are demonic and evil. They're about pride and self-interest. But the thing that makes him the most angry is the one who divides brothers. 
Because when we are divided, we are open for the devil to pull every one of us down. We overcome when we unify together, go out of our way to draw other people in and become our possession. So Jesus prays. He prays to keep us. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for the, I'm praying for the world, not for the, out, the ones that aren't mine. But I'm praying for those that you've given me. They are yours. And all mine are yours. And all yours are mine. And I'm glorified in them. You see, not only do you get fulfilled when you work to keep others, but Christ is fulfilled in his desire to keep you, to protect you, to watch over you. In fact, can I tell you this? One of the worst mistakes you will ever live in your life is to think that you need to do something independent from Christ. Because Christ is fulfilled in his keeping of you. Would you please just let him do it? I feel like, you know, my granddaughter now is of the age where she wants to operate the buckles herself. Right? She's like one and a half she is not expert in safety equipment for seating in cars. But she wants to do it herself. Not with the right words yet. I want to do the buckle myself. But I'm fulfilled in making sure you don't die in this car trip we are making now. So I will buckle you. Yeah, well, I don't care about your crying and your wailing. Would you just let God buckle you? Would you just let him take care of you? Would you just let him watch over you? Instead of all of this, oh, I'm going to take care of myself and do my own thing. Oh, look out, I've got no money. What shall I do? Oh, my job is blah, blah, blah. Ah! Just let him take care of you. He is fulfilled in taking care of you. And also, Jesus constantly teaches us to do the same. Because he wants us to share in his joy of caring for our brothers. It is a joy. As a pastor, one of the things that I love doing is funerals. Um, not because people die. That's, a, that's the downside. Um, but I love to get together and, and do the stories. I got to do a funeral a couple of weeks ago. And, and, I, and I, um, I got the family together. And I just said, for me to do this funeral, you've got to tell me the stories of this person. I can't possibly represent them in a funeral without knowing what they're like. I never met them. And they poured in the stories of this person who had cared for them and nurtured them and loved them. And this telling of those stories in the funeral is what every single soul in the room vibrates to. Because everybody goes, that's so beautiful. I wish I had someone who cared for me like that. I want to care for people like that. But that sense of keeping, that sense of loving, it flowed out of that person. Maybe it was their own security, their own weakness, their own needs, but they just wanted to care for others. And in that caring they found the very best things in human life. Woe to the world that lives as an individual. It is cold. You can't overcome obstacles. You, you feel as though nothing is worth it. 
And you, th- you think to yourself, if I fall, who will ever lift me up? The thing is, if you don't lift anyone else up, you won't know what it's like to feel lifted up on the inside. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer that we get a chance to think about who has God placed near us that needs us to keep them. And then we can devote ourselves to bringing that person into our caring world, treating them like our own adopted family, so that we are concerned about their welfare all of the time. If I could just have the band come up as we pray too. Father, we're so grateful that you gave us a shepherd, that you gave us Jesus, that you gave us somebody who wants to keep us and protect us, provide for us, that you gave us someone who, who loves to love us, who loves and is just so blessed when he gets the chance to to nurture us and love us and, and, and be in every need that we have. We are so grateful that you've given us this kind of Savior. And so I pray, Father, that right now that you would help every single person here humbly accept our need for you to keep us, to guard us and protect us, to, to intervene in our lives, to provide for our needs, to watch over our spirits and our souls, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble and not disobedient or rebellious children, but to humbly reach to you. I just want to know right now in your heart, is God calling you to just let him care for you? Let him tend to your wounds. Let him heal your needs. Let him him love the unlovely things about you. Let him forgive your sins. Let him include you in his family. If you don't know the Father, Jesus, his Son, is reaching out his hand towards you. If you take the hand of Jesus, then you can come into the Father's family. So why don't you just reach to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I believe that you are the way to the Father. You died for me. You were raised for me. So I now accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I enter that family of yours. And your Father is now my Father. You are my home. And for all of us, Father, I pray that today, right now, you would give us Eyes to see those around us who need someone, who need to be kept. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be on the superficial that we would look, not on the surface, but to understand that everybody around us needs others to care for them. So inspire us now, Holy Spirit. Who shall we care for? Who shall we keep? So Father, we pray that you would help us to be a keeper of others and to really value that. 
Lord, to put it higher than our financial income and, and our other goals of this life. Lord, help us to value keeping others as our highest priority next to loving you. And we pray, Lord, that you guide us and lead us in that endeavor. Help us to be generous and open and welcoming. Help us to be loving to those who need to be loved. Help us to be mindful. And Lord, as we turn our attention now to you in worship, we pray that you would lift our hearts as we lift you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.